Hey, everybody, we're back. Bleeding, Claret, and Cobalt, your host, Trey Fitzgerald, the super producer, Ryan Hale. A little bit of an international break between the Vancouver loss, which we'll obviously get into, and a glut of home games for Pablo Mastroeni and company, starting with back-to-back home games June 18th against San Jose, June 25th against Columbus, RSL, the last of 28 MLS teams to have back-to-back home games this year. The Riot will be rocking over the next six weeks, five out of seven at home, quick trip on the 4th of July weekend to Minnesota, a midweek trip to Atlanta in late July, and, of course, we'll have fireworks matches at Rio Tinto on June 25th and July 24th. First time ever, Ryan, in 18 years that RSL will not host a game on July 4th, Independence Day weekend. We'll get into all of that and a lot, lot more as we look ahead to the dog days of summer for Real Salt Lake. Hey guys, uh, Ryan and I love bringing you this content uh, multiple times per week or per month, and we couldn't do it without Adam Sessions at One Wire. And we really want you to experience the level of customer service that Adam and all of his colleagues at OneWire provide their clients, their uh, business partners, their constituents. So um, if you're not a business owner, tell your boss to uh, uh, upgrade their voice and their business communications by going over to OneWire.co and check out all the services uh, that OneWire has to offer. Adam's a big soccer fan. We've converted the whole office into uh, supporters of RSL and um, we just ask that you, if you have any opportunity whatsoever uh, in your business, your family's business, um, or your, you know, in your circle of, of influence to uh, refer one wire, because uh, there is no doubt in my mind that they'll be able to handle all of your uh, voice communications and uh, other business uh, tech needs. So go over again to the number one wire.co and you can see the uh, depth and breadth of options available. So that's it for our proud partner, OneWire. All right, Ryan, we're back in the studio during kind of a bye week for RSL, one of only two bye weeks the entire year, June 11th weekend and then September 25th is the next international break. RSL obviously playing a very road-heavy schedule in the early going. Third place in the Western Conference, 25 points from 15 games. And until stoppage time in Vancouver last week, it looked like you were going to get at least a point uh, for the 10th time in 14 road games. However, poor transition defense. Some might say a poor decision by Aaron Herrera to go to ground. Uh, slightly maybe mistimed tackle or a weird turf bounce of the ball resulted in Aaron Herrera taking out Vancouver player. They get a penalty kick. And the Scottish Messi, Ryan Gould, uh, hits the PK in stoppage time to put Vancouver in charge of all three points, 2-1 at uh, BC Place. And that's a place that has not been kind to RSL over the years, Ryan. Two wins 
11 losses, one draw now for RSL at BC Place. And and look, Vancouver Whitecaps have not been good over the last year or so, but they have been very, very good since departing Rio Tinto Stadium and going back to uh, that awful, awful surface at BC Place. I believe they are now 11 wins, one loss, and two draws. Only Portland, I think, has been able to take points from them up there over the better part of the last year or so. So it's a, it's a fascinating, interesting um, turn of events. I, I was especially was looking forward, as anybody that listened to our last episode, uh, was looking forward to us flying high with maybe a four-game win streak for the first time in nine years going into this break and then having this glut of home games. But uh, there was an article on MLSsoccer.com based off of a – radio interview that Pablo Mastroeni did a couple weeks ago talking with Bill Riley, I think, about the U.S. national team and how maybe a disappointing loss for the U.S. would be the kind of thing they need going into the World Cup uh, later this year. And maybe some of that same logic can apply here for RSL. You obviously saw how dejected Justin Miram was. Um in his post-game interview, uh, Pablo as well. I think both both uh, individuals felt like the performance was good enough to come away with a point. I tend to agree with that. I did think a second goal was going to come at some point in the second half. I think uh, us RSL fans would look at maybe a, a little bit of a lackadaisical um, start to the game, no urgency. Uh, obviously the goal, the first goal that was given up to Vancouver with the long throw and the ball bouncing in the box and everybody kind of standing around and watching um, um, the gentleman's name in Vancouver is escaping me right now, uh, Ranko, uh, just kind of tap it home past Zach McMath. Zach was obviously upset. I think he was upset at the referees not calling a foul throw, which both uh, the back foot came up and then I th- – it, it did look like it might have been a three-quarter one-handed throw. Um, as Dunny rightly pointed out, you just don't see foul throws called at this level. Um, there was a lot of ball watching going on on that play. There's a lot of speculation on Twitter that Zach was yelling at Andrew Brody or Justin Glad or whoever else was kind of around. I don't know. I haven't really seen the guys since um, – that day because everybody went and got four or five days of well, well deserved uh, time away and vacation. The team comes back to training in Harriman uh, this Friday and Saturday, then they're off Sunday. And then it's a normal week leading into June 18th in against San Jose. You go Monday, Tuesday off Wednesday, Thursday training in Harriman, Friday training at Rio Tinto and then Saturday game, which uh, Ryan, I would expect to be, Yet another sellout, uh, the seventh in a row to start the season. And uh, if RSL can maintain its unbeaten home form, five wins, one tie in six appearances at Rio Tinto so far this year, I think we all remember the one tie was a 2-2 draw against Toronto. And for me, until maybe the Houston game, maybe even the Montreal road game, that Toronto game was the match in which I felt like the RSL offense was was clicking the most and creating the most opportunity. So, obviously, we got to talk about uh, Demir Krylock's surgery. We got to talk about the signing of Diego Luna, which we just briefly referenced in last week's show. So, 
there's a lot of uh, storylines to kind of tug on as we go into three of the next four and five of the next seven at home through the rest of June and most of July. So big opportunity if RSL can stay hot at home, capturing three points at the riot, that will uh, position everybody very, very well. And then we'll get into a stretch where the final, I think, 12 games of the year just alternate home and away. So um, no long road trips after the Atlanta um, midweek, which I think is July, I want to say, 13th. Um, you've got Rocky Mountain Cup at home on July 9th. You've got um, a rare Sunday midseason regular season game against hated sporting Kansas City on July 17th. And then uh, you've got Pioneer Day, obviously, on, on July 24th. So uh, there, or July 23rd, I should say. There, there is a lot of opportunity here for RSL if they can stay healthy. Pablo is going to have lineup decisions to make for the first time all year because he does have more bodies than um, bench availability on a game day, and starting 11 uh, decisions get knocked on from there. So it's really shaping up to be a very interesting next uh, probably six, eight weeks for RSL, for Pablo. And then the last thing we haven't talked about is the international window opens on July 7th. And we've heard Elliot Fall, we've heard Kurt Schmid, we've heard Pablo I'll talk about maybe, uh, and even Tony Beltran recently with Bill Riley, talking about maybe the the team is one player away of uh, a final maybe um, piece that they're going to pursue here in this window. So a lot of interesting things to think about and talk about going into the kind of resumption of play here for Real Salt Lake. Just open up my notes app on my phone because yeah. I was taking notes like a nerd during the game in Vancouver. Some of them don't make sense to me now that they're we're almost a week <laughs> away from it. Um, but one of those things that I I, uh, I didn't I had some good things to say about. I think the first half of play, second half of play, that kind of came out. I think it's a it's a team that's being it's a lot more cohesive. I think that was the theme of our last mm-hmm. episode for sure. Um, looking at this Ruiz cross to Justin Miram for his goal yeah. is unreal. He's yeah. like 10 yards behind the midfield. Yeah. Puts it right on well the just the fact that it came off uh I can't remember what his name is the the right I think back. it's Redoso. Yeah, oh yeah, that's him. So he came off the right back and then Justin just or yeah, and Miram just walks onto it like, "Oh yeah, that's that's the play." Yep. And, and then just puts it away. Well, uh, and the fact that that came like 30 seconds after Cordova, yeah. Cordova had what I think was an apparent goal not I'm, allowed. Because there's no goal line technology, yeah. and uh, and that was a great cross. I think it was from Herrera to Cordova. Oh, that was, yeah. And, uh, man, Sergio had another chance later in the game where their goalkeeper, who's the MLS pool goalkeeper, Cody Cropper, yeah. just makes a great save. And uh, then Pablo Ruiz had another deflected shot that went off the post. Yeah. Uh, Savarino clearly made a big difference his final 30 minutes in that game. Uh, you saw Anderson Julio come on and make a difference. So there's there was a big part of me during that whole second half, like, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. And then when the game was over, I was like, man, even if we just had another five minutes and you give up that crummy penalty, there's got to be a way for us to salvage points out of that match. There was definitely opportunities. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. No one can tell you what – I mean, and the, only Aaron can tell you what he was thinking. I bet he would have a hard time telling you what he was thinking in that moment. But that was a, that was an interesting play. It was very aggressive. and. Uh, Maybe more aggressive than was necessary to like take a to to go down, you know, to yeah. tackle in the box. I mean, I think you could see what he was doing. In fact, 
I think the consensus was everybody who saw it from the TV angle was like, oh, he got it. It was clean. And then the, the reverse, you're like, oh, wait, no. Yeah. And <laughs> but, I think, look, he just thought he was going to be able to get that ball. Well, and I think, I think yeah. he does. I think he gets that ball 20 minutes earlier. You know, I think, I think if it's just that's a result mm-hmm. of like traveling in 90 minutes. Anyway, um, not to like belabor that one at all. I think that that, 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 that's a tough one. Those are the tough points that we're talking about. I saw some tough points that they've stolen and there they had some stolen away from them. I guess, you know, hopefully that evens out or hopefully it doesn't cost too much. Um, Question about uh, goal line technology in MLS. Do yeah. you know what, what's like? I don't want to like say, oh, what could have happened or should have or whatever, bad color or whatever. But I guess I think what the the forefront of my mind here with that is like MLS seems to be the one that tests a lot of the technology. In fact, they were doing VAR before most of the European leagues yeah. were doing it. What is the holdup on goal line technology? Do you know? It's it's most likely expense coming out of COVID. I think teams and stadiums and the league just haven't wanted to put that money in that place because obviously they've spent tens of millions of dollars more traveling uh, during the 2020, 2021, and now the 2022 season uh, seasons uh, in order to kind of uh, not fly commercial and stay in the bubble. I haven't heard this from anybody. That's my speculation. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure that Taylor Twelman at some point, um, as he's watching games, has tweeted about – goal line technology and the need thereof. And I mean, look, CONCACAF wasn't even using VAR in champions league until the final or maybe the semifinal in the finals. Um, so that's, a that's interesting. I don't, I don't it's, know. I, I just think it, it hasn't really been a priority and maybe it's something they're saving for, uh, when the new TV deal supposedly goes into effect with the new production partners and everybody else, uh, next year that that's something that can be added because it essentially does require cameras and it'd be easily integrated into the TV production. And once it's part of the TV production, it's easily integrated into VAR. I know that like when you watch a Premier League game and the, the ref uh, calls a goal based on the technology, he looks at his watch and it tells him that it was across the, the line. That's 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 more than just cameras, right? So te- when we talk about goal line technology, yeah, there is actually because, like, like a, balls have chips in them. And if the entirety of the ball crosses the line, and this is all I think done via GPS, then the referee's watch gets buzzed. So it is. So it is more than just having a camera stationed. Yeah, I think that's well. That's the simplest way. Because that that's what we saw with that one. Vancouver definitely. The Vancouver broadcast definitely didn't have a goal line no. camera set up. So that, no, remember, and they're the home broadcast. Yeah. So like, we only have I think one one camera of our own uh, for our interviews and and yeah. and generally Dunny and and DJ as we saw repeatedly during what was a horrible Vancouver broadcast, <laughs> they're getting hung out to dry. I mean, yeah. we're looking at, at at their head coach while the ball is in play and our attacking third. Like, yeah. who cares? Uh, there's a dislocated finger. Clearly, there's different systems of goal line technology. They're, the easiest way to do it is to have TV cameras on the line pointed down each like end VAR line. VAR style. Yeah. But um, the one you're talking about clearly is a increased level of technology and as we've seen in tennis and we've seen in other sports uh things go through uh evolutions so um hopefully yeah um and again i think let's say everybody agrees ah oh, cordova kind of got robbed now we ended up scoring 30 seconds later so it stings a little bit less even if we hadn't scored and that had become a talking point after the game it's one every 
10,000 shots. And that's yeah, that's sure. the kind of math and data logic that people use to say the 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 financial cost doesn't justify the means. Yeah, I mean, I think that like England in the World Cup might tell or US in the World Cup might tell you something different every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, there's some, it feels like that when it does happen, it's big games, you know. It's well, a, in a regular season MLS game against, you know, World Cup, there's massive for sure. gambling and financial ramifications I, as well. Yeah, I guess I was just surprised because I do know that like a lot of things, a lot of technology has been trialed at in MLS. So I think it was like, yeah. well, of all, of all places for us not to have that, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. I know that was like what frustration when you're watching – I remember when the Royals were here and not having VIR when we have VIR the day before. You know, yeah, it's like no, it's, it's one it's, of those things that's frustrating. It's incongruous for yeah. sure to, as a fan or as a media member. Well, I think that like there's a way to take. Um, I mean, you could be really down about that game. I, obviously, there's nothing that that feels good about you know. And I think Justin Miram does a really good job of showing what it feels like to be in that position. Whenever he comes on after a loss, and he always takes the he always gets takes the mic after yeah. a loss to his credit. I don't think he's. I don't think that's his assignment. I think he just, he, you know, you go looking for Justin because he's going to tell you, he's going to, he's not going to run away from the camera after a loss, but you can see it on his face. You can hear it in his tone and you know how much that hurts. I thought there was some good silver linings to that. I'm not going to sit here and like try and like tell you what they all were. Yeah. I mean, this team ultimately got to win those games, but, um, I'm not disappointed by the performance. I don't think as a whole, sure. I'm disappointed by the result and the things that came at the end, but um, but yeah, I think that was, I think it was a solid performance. And I think that it shows that like the things that we've been identifying over the past month or so are actually coming to fruition. Yeah. And that's going to come as guys are used to kind of playing with each other and seeing what kind of magic Severino makes and him being familiar with whether it's Bobby Woods runs or re, you know, familiarizing himself with Sergio Cordova. Um, Chang has continued to be great. Miram has been really, really good. Uh, playing the glut of minutes uh, that he has, which might have been a little unexpected this year um, based on his super sub role late last year that really sparked this team. And and if Julio and Savarino are healthy and you've got Julio, Savarino, Chang, and Miram basically for two spots, those are the decisions Pablo, I think, is looking forward to making is, okay, who am I bringing in with 10, 20, 30 minutes left in a game that's going to change it? And who's going to be fresh? Because any one of those four guys going at tired defenses is going to be Absolutely. fantastic. And um, I don't know, a couple things. My main takeaway out of Vancouver, as disappointed as I was, to not have a four-game MLS win streak for the first time in nine years, Um it does feel good under Pablo to at least be competitive on the road, which is something that has been very, very rare for this club in 18 years. And yes, we were not competitive on the day um, back on Easter Sunday, April 17th in New York City in Yankee Stadium. Um, I think what is proven, been proven, is that was an anomaly. If we had just even gotten the tie Saturday against Vancouver, you're looking at 10 road results out of the last 14. And that is a different mentality, a different mindset. Dunny has talked a lot about it just being a different group of players that don't carry all that baggage from past years about about awful road performances. Maybe it's easier to go and perform on the road when you're hopping on a charter the night before a game and you know you're going to be back in your own bed the night of a game. Um, generally speaking, that, that goes a long way. Here is the stat that I think is one of the most impressive things 
during the Mastroini era, Ryan. And Pablo has been the head coach for RSL for 32 games. So he's almost been um, head coach for RSL, the equivalent of a full MLS season. This team has not lost back-to-back games at all under Pablo Mastroini. Um, The record in games after a loss is seven wins, zero losses, two draws. So that means nine times out of nine, we have been able to avoid a back-to-back loss. So that says a lot to me about mentality, about determination, about resolve, about adjustments that Pablo and his staff and the whole club, the team, the locker room is making to correct those errors. And and look, that 6 nothing in New York was awful. Uh, you're staring down the, the barrel at a trip to Portland on the road where you lost pretty unceremoniously in the West Final. They salvage a 0-0 draw. And maybe that game is a one nothing RSL win as if Pablo Ruiz doesn't bang that one uh, pretty short distance shot off the post, right? Um, I don't remember what the other draw was following a loss, but to have seven wins and and look, some of this can you can say it's the schedule, right? You lose on the road, you come back home, you're comfortable, you get the win, right? Um, but all in all, like that's not a small sample size. That's that's nine games coming off of an L. Uh, that you're able in seven of those nine to get a win and the other two to at least salvage a tie. So um, this was pretty, pretty spectacular stuff. And and look, with a win against San Jose, which I got to think, now this team needs to learn how to play as the favorites, right? They've spent the last the whole Master Winnie era and most of the last two years and certainly most of the club's existence as the underdog, the little engine that could. And you know, as we look at the Jason Kreis era, there were there were times when when the team was expected to win, whether that's the second leg of CONCACAF at home against Monterey, even though Monterey's payroll is 20x, or their transfer value, I should say, is 20x what RSL's was, or an Open Cup final at home against a three-win DC United team. Those teams clearly didn't know how to handle being the favorite or a heavy favorite in some cases. Um, Now that RSL is five wins and one draw and six home games, and you're coming back for this summer glut of home games to make up for all the trips away during the first part of the year, and three points is expected at home against San Jose, Columbus, uh, Colorado, Kansas City, um, Teams, a lot of teams in the upcoming schedule, Ryan, that aren't part of the playoff picture right now. Uh, whereas all those road games, the six of the, you know, seven of the first nine, uh, were against playoff teams from a year ago. So, and and look, some of this stuff is flimsy. Just because a team was a playoff team a year ago doesn't mean they're great this year. But still, winning on the road is hard in this league. And what Pablo has done is proven that this team can be competitive on the road, um, can get results on the road. And now you're back at home where this team has been almost flawless, getting, what, 16 of a, of a possible 18 points in six home games, 5-0-1-1. Yeah, 16 out of 18. That's impressive. And if you, if you can keep that rate of return going, then you just know going into the final third of the season, uh, when you go into that playoff chase, that, that you're, you're going to be 
in the mix for a home playoff game. You're going to be a top four seed in the West. And then hopefully you get Demir Krylock back with maybe four, six weeks left in the regular season. So then he gets up to speed. He gets integrated. What a great piece to add to a mix that's going to hopefully look a lot like it does now. Maybe you do get somebody coming out of a summer transfer window. Maybe Diego Luna comes back from U.S. under-20 duty ready to tear it up. Maybe Haziel Orozco comes back from U.S. under-20 duty ready to tear it up. Like, you just don't know uh, what you're, you know, who's going to be kind of the hot hands in your roster uh, going into that final third of the season. Knock on wood, Johnny Menendez might be back. Eric Holt might be back. Um, there's a lot of guys that are getting healthy now, and Pablo... He joked about this on the radio last week. Like, for the first time all year, he's got bodies standing on the side of the pitch at practice, even when they're doing 11 v. 11. And there are so many training sessions this year where he's having to go 7-on-7, 8-on-8, 9-on-9 because he doesn't have enough people. And they're taking assistant coach Matt Taylor and throwing him into the mix as a as a two-way player or as an attacker for one team. They're bringing guys in from the Monarchs. Um, you know, that can be unsettling on a day-to-day basis. So, look, these are all trends that I think portend quality results, but you got to go out and do it now. And and you're expected to because these games are going to be sold out at Rio Tinto Stadium, and you know the fans have been awesome. People are still buying season tickets. Um, San Jose should be a seventh straight sellout. Columbus should be an eighth. Colorado should be a ninth. Uh, the Sunday home game against Kansas City is probably the one that worries me and and the other people at the club the most because. It's a rare Sunday afternoon, I think maybe evening, uh, regular season home game. So part of that is because both Kansas City and us are on the road on Wednesday night. So they're doing an extra day of rest to try to uh, make sure that the quality of play isn't affected uh, as it usually is during a three-game week. Um, any update on Tamir? I know we saw some yeah, social media so, with him. You know, when you and I last recorded, it was it was just hours after Demir got out of his surgery. He's back in Utah. Uh, you'll see him Thursday night with David James on the Talking Real show. Um, you'll hear him with Spencer Checkets as well this week talking about his decision uh, to get the surgery to have a defined blueprint of recovery and. Um, you know, I think nothing but good things. I've talked to Demir several times in the last uh, week or so, 10 days or so, and, you know, I've been privy to kind of his back and forth and the consultations and talking to the trainers and the coaches and the doctors and all that kind of stuff. And clearly he thinks he made the best decision for him and gives him the best chance at both short-term and long-term health and 100% um uh, 100% capability and and uh, and success. Look, there were other options that he was pursuing for the last six weeks since that New York game where he got kind of pulled and twisted, and that's essentially when the, the direct back injury really affected him. Um, and he could have kept going down that arduous maybe rehab road, and maybe he would get on the field more quickly than – what they're right now saying is another 83, 90 days, whatever, three months. Um, but it 
it might have been something that he was, you know, he comes back, he feels good enough to play, he's not 100%, he, he, he re-aggravates it. It's just something he's dealing with for the rest of the season. And, look, he he loves how well the team is doing, but it's hard for him to watch his teammates play and him not to go out and play with them. Now, he's in the locker room with them every day at training. He's in the workout room with them. He's, he's in the locker room at the games. Um, he's still a vocal leader. He's still an inspirational leader because the guys hear him and they see him working. He's just not out playing with them. So um, the good thing is he's not invisible, but he's nobody works harder than Demir. He's the first one in the facility. He's the last one to leave every day, um, and that's been the case the last several years. So um, maybe he beats that three-month timeline. Maybe he blows it out of the water. Who knows? Um, but hopefully whenever he is, um, when he decides he is ready to be back, he's a hundred percent. And this is completely in the rearview mirror and it's not something he has to keep dealing with. Yeah. I think all we, we just want, you know, Demir to do whatever is best for Demir for sure. Yeah, and and I, I think, I think like- he feels a hundred percent that that's exactly what he did. Um, obviously there's people that are telling him, Hey, you're, you're creating the opportunity for greater risk by, by operating on a back, like you hear the word back surgery, the yeah, phrase sure. back surgery, but the doctors, the specialists uh, that did it, they said they assuaged those fears, right? They said, look, this is a simple procedure. I'm going to go in. I'm going to get that piece out that's irritating your nerves, that's causing pain in your back, that's causing weakness down your spine and into the leg. And remember, he had been dealing with these calf, that calf injury because he kept getting kicked in Tucson and then in Houston and all that stuff from the beginning of the year, he was feeling the the nerve irritation or compression, I guess is the word that Theron Enns used, all the way down. And so there were days where he felt like he could run and kick, and then there were days where he felt like he couldn't. And I think it was that uh, intermittent feedback from his body was some days were good. Some days were bad. Some days were extraordinarily limited. Some days were no issue. That's the stuff that basically drove him to the point where, no, I'm going to go get the surgery. I'm going to follow this blueprint. I'm going to follow this plan. And yes, if it keeps me off the field for 90 days, I can get through it. And I know I can like circle a calendar and try to beat that or be back by that and be 100% and not have to worry about this anymore. I, I I, think that's his mindset and that's his mentality. And and look, everybody in that building that's ever, um, whether you've worked with Demir for one day or for the last five years, you just trust him. Like, it's his body. It's his judgment. It's his call. And this is what he felt was the best chance uh, for him to contribute to the team, not only this year, but in future years as well. So, just get this uh, put behind him. Obviously, we're all selfish. We all want him on the field every day. Um, but maybe that clarity and that definition is going to end up being best in the long run. Yeah, it's so good to hear Like that when you're talking about him being in the locker room still. It's like I think we think that sometimes when we don't see someone on the field that they're not part of the team anymore, yeah. but to know how integrated he still is and how important and integral he is to the team. Uh, yeah, all the best to, to Demir and, you know, yeah, we can't wait to see him back. Yeah, no, and he's like Dunny's reference. To, he's he's apologizing to everybody for missing as much time. Of course like, he is. Of course he you is. You know, it's just so <laughs> demure. 
All right, so you did mention a couple other players. I think we've kind of been getting their updates, um, you know, here and there. Eric Holt, one of them. Johnny Menendez, another one. Um, but I do think that we're getting to the point where we're going to start seeing, like you were just saying, like this this full squad. And the full squad is almost another problem in itself because of, you know, just the idea that, like, well, now who do you sit on the bench? Like, who's not who's going to miss minutes because now we have somebody for every position? But I think that's a good, good thing to have. I think that there are some people that have been earning their spots. Um, there are very few clubs in the world that have been able to both win and gain results and develop talent simultaneously. A lot of times, I think most coaches and GMs and everybody else will tell you, technical directors will tell you, you got to you got to pick a lane between winning and development. There's nine former monarchs on the RSL roster right now, and I think the most prominent uh, success stories from the monarchs are probably you know Andrew Brody, Michael Chang. Uh, certainly you'd look at David Ochoa, um, you'd look at, uh, you know, and that's not counting guys like Justin Glad and Aaron Herrera who have never been on a Monarchs contract, but have earned, um, or gained seasoning, right. in those things. So with regards to Diego Luna, I mean, him, him coming in, getting settled for a minute, finding a place to live in Salt Lake. Like I get that he was only 18. Everybody seems to have agreed that he was the best player in USL championship. Um, this year, that he was the best young player in USL Championship last year. That's a league that has grown and matured and is better now than it was in 2019 when the Monarchs won the championship. That was just a different iteration. So I, I think it's going to be an exciting summer for Diego, especially with Demir out. We don't really have another true number 10 on the roster. So does Diego Luna's arrival give Pablo some tactical flexibility to do something different in the midfield um, because Pablo Ruiz is not a true 10. He's more of an eight, right? Um, can Savarino play the 10? Sure. Um, but is that his strength? Historically, no. People, He's most dangerous and magical out on the right side and cutting in. Um, does that mean Sergio Cordova needs to play more centrally now? Could be, but... I think time will tell what Pablo decides to do as you get healthy. Then you can start looking at, do I go three in the back? Do I go four in the back? If I go three in the back, do I go five in the midfield or four in the midfield? Do we go diamond? Do we go a, a four, two, three, one? Do we go a, you know, three, two, three, one do, uh, or two? Like, do you go a diamond? Like, it's all about how you mix and match the personnel based on what you're trying to do. And, I think one of the things we've learned from Pablo and listening to the other guys, they don't get so caught up in the tactics as, hey, here's who we're playing Saturday. Here's what we want to do. And whether it's LA Galaxy, LAFC, Houston Dynamo, Austin FC, FC Dallas, whoever, Colorado, whoever the opponent is, I get the feeling, and I appreciate this, that we don't really worry about the opponent so much. Obviously you watch video and you scout and you're aware of what their dangerous players like to do and what their setup is and what they tend to do well and where maybe you can expose them. But I get the feeling from listening to everybody that the majority of the concern is always, here's what we want to do. Here's how we want to create opportunity for Jefferson Savarino or Bobby Wood or Sergio Cordova or Aaron Herrera or 
um, Pablo Ruiz or Justin Miram or whoever. Like, here's what we can do with Julio in the last 10, 20, 30 minutes of a game. Here's who we can bring off uh, to do this. Here's when we need Everton to go into lockdown mode. Like, there's just a million different things. And um, you've heard me say it probably every show this year, Ryan, but this this group is tight-knit. And, and they care about each other. They love each other. They fight for each other. And that's why they're third in the West through at almost here the midpoint of the season. And depending how results go for them and everybody else um, in games 16 and 17, they might be even higher up the table. And that's, uh, that's something I don't think anybody would have predicted um, in February or March. Yeah, I guess looking looking forward to we got uh you know this week no games this week. There's several MLS games in play, including San Jose who's playing Nashville. San Jose is the next team to come into Salt Lake. Um, another team that's kind of uh, had more bumps in their schedule than I think that you know they were anticipating. But uh, um, this does give I feel I feel like this is the kind of game that gives uh you know is going to give an opportunity for some some pretty good home team home performances from RSL. So. What the what the eleven is going to look like a week from today, <laughs> and compared to what it was last a week, you know, so two weeks from their last game, sure. I think it's going to be interesting. So it's going to be it's going to there's going to be some. I think we're going to see a team on the field that uh, I don't know may may not may not be exactly what we've been watching the the whole season. I'm not sure that Pablo has any plans to do that, but I just I feel like the way things were going, and I think that the two week break and watching these things and the amount of people that are making their way onto the roster and stuff like that. I think that there's going to be, this might be a team where this is where we're starting to see the, the move into like, you know, what does this next phase of the season look like? And I think we're sure. going to start seeing some guys run out like that. So, I mean, they didn't, he didn't change the lineup during the three game win streak. Right. So mm-hmm. it's the first time this year that we had the same lineup three games in a row. Uh, there's only been four times all season, including the last two games where you had the same lineup in back to back games. Obviously Savarino, uh, Savarino and Julio have been training with the Monarchs this week in order to get their fitness up, to get up to 90-minute um, fitness or whatever. I think Savarino in the starting lineup is probably the most natural expectation. Yeah. Coming off a loss, it's probably logical for there to be a change made. But then what are the knock-on effects of that change? What does that mean for Cordova? What does that mean for Chang? Uh, if you flip one of those guys the other side, what does that mean for Miram? Um, you know, Miram, I think, came into this year expecting to be kind of that that spark off the bench the last 20, 30 minutes, and he's started – I mean, he missed one game for Iraq, and that was the Kansas City loss. I think he started every other game, and he's played 75, 80 minutes every other game. So um, He stepped off the plane onto the field, basically. Yeah, after that yeah exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, what does that mean? And then – as I alluded to before, based on those decisions, what do you do in the back? Do you go, if you go three in the back, where do you put Herrera? You know, if you go three in the back, where do you put Brody? I think Brody is historically proven to be more, I guess, amenable to being like the outside wing back, like we've seen him or Tate Schmidt play, uh, than, than Herrera on the right side. Herrera likes to be a part of the back three as opposed to the the wing on the right side in the five. But that may have changed since last year like because he wasn't available early this year when we were playing three in the back. When you have Eric Holt and Marcelo Silva and Justin Glad, do you go to three in the back? And then, you know, so, so Pablo's got a bit more of a puzzle um, now than when he was just trying to find 11 healthy bodies to start, uh, which it seemed like 
uh, occurred a lot in March and April and May. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I, th- I love to, I like to, the anticipation of these games, especially when <laughs> I've like kind of like, you know, when it, when you miss a week and you start to feel it, you're like, oh, I haven't seen the team for a while. You yeah. kind of like start to like, well, what's gonna look like? How's it gonna be? So, um, yeah, the what's that next Saturday, uh, seven thirty kickoff, I think. Correct. Um, yeah, it's a. It's not easy to get tickets right now. I've, I've noticed it's like it's, it's been a while. Like I, I know we, I had some, I had some friends were looking for tickets a little bit late for last game, but luckily we had some connections. But like I think like the reality is like, get your tickets, man. Yeah, like this is like ahead. it's 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 worth it. I think this is a game that you're gonna want to be at. I think there's gonna be a special performance. I I just feel like there's some things like we're gonna see some. We got that first Severino goal waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. We've got um you know we had Diego Luna goals waiting to happen. We've got uh. We've got some things. Cordova's bound for. I mean, I'm not going to put anything on him, but there's going to be some big goals from that guy. But how fun is it to see how dangerous he's become and he's growing oh, yeah. in confidence after those goals in Montreal and against Houston? And I mean, he really. I think he, in his mind, he had one against Vancouver, even yeah. though it didn't count. Um, he had another couple opportunities that it's just like, oh, if Cordova could have that another bite at that cherry he'd he'd finish it you know and and just having those dangerous opportunities whether it's Cordova Wood Savarino Julio Miram uh certainly Pablo Ruiz as well and then I mean Jasper Loffelson who you mentioned earlier has been um kind of Mr. Everything little Swiss Army knife there in the engine room uh Scott Caldwell's been enormously solid we all know what Everton can do and the back four have been really good. Zach McMath leads the league and saves. Um, he's been a very solid um, leader, communicator, more than solid. And I think it was Spence Checkett's interview with Elliot earlier this week. Midseason awards are going to come out with from all the pundits here in another couple of weeks. How do you not have Pablo as coach of the year right now? Very true. Very I mean, true. what other success story? Because... There are some pieces coming out, U.S. soccer players. Jason Davis just had one. Uh, we've seen this from the MLSsoccer.com guys as well. Is like, how is RSL doing this? What's their identity? And 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 people are coming at it from kind of a lack of maybe tactical identity. Certainly we've seen the tactics evolve as you get guys healthy and get guys playing together, and, and certainly we've become much more uh dangerous from a chance creation and a possession standpoint in recent weeks. But, man, adding Savarino, adding Julio, um, I mean, Rubio Rubin hasn't been healthy all year. He's now down uh, starting with Guatemala. When he comes back from Nations League in CONCACAF, like, that's another guy to throw into the mix, either as a starter, as a, as a danger man off the bench. Like, Pablo went a lot of games this year without any real attacking subs off the bench, he's having to utilize Chris Cablon or Tate Schmidt or somebody in a, maybe a slightly different role um, to to change the game going forward in the last I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. But now you've got a, a plethora, a wealth of options, especially once Menendez is healthy. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Adam Sessions and all the gang over at One Wire Fiber. We appreciate you. Thank you to all the listeners, the fans, for your continued support of Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. We can't wait to see you out at Rio Tinto Stadium Saturday, June 18th against San Jose Earthquake, 7.30 kick. Gates open at 6. Get there early to get parked to enjoy the festivities on the East Plaza. 
and to get a hot dog and a soda or whatever you like to drink at the games before you sit down in your seat for kickoff. Get that place loud and proud. Wear red, and uh, hopefully RSL can keep that undefeated home fortress feeling going for all of the summer. Three of the next four, five of the next seven at home. Can't wait to see you out there. As always, hit us up on Twitter at Claret Cobalt, on Instagram at Claret Cobalt, anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt. Hit the message button and let us know your thoughts, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, anything you want to see and hear in this pod, please let us know. As promised, we will have an extended sit-down with Pablo Mastroeni coming up and then uh, as other guys become available from their summer national team travels, their injury rehabs and other things. We'll have so much great content for you right here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt.